I um, hear this occasionally in a worship service and perhaps to my shame, I kind of roll my eyes because I really think it's important to study the Word, but in many ways, just for me personally, um, I feel, you know, I could just have a closing prayer right now, and uh, that was just amazing worship this morning, and um, appreciate everyone who, who led us this morning in worship. That was uh, a precious thing. So, um, with that being said, I'm not going to do that, but we're going to be looking at instructions to the younger in the shepherd's flock. Uh, last Sunday, Pastor Robbie wore a tie in honor of the older members of the flock. Uh, I asked, believe it or not, a few days ago, some of our students uh, what I should wear in honor of the younger members of the flock, and uh, let's just say the suggestions were very interesting. Uh, everything from uh, shredded skinny jeans to uh, long Nike socks to, to a diaper, believe it or not. Someone said a diaper. And then uh, just to show my age, um, someone suggested, they said, uh, what was it, pit vipers, which uh, I thought were snakes, but apparently it's a style of sunglasses. And so uh, I was writing back saying, okay, I'll wear all of this stuff, and I was describing what I would look like, and then I jokingly said, but I think I will be too much of a distraction. And in that description, I said something like, with pit vipers draped over my shoulders. Because I'm thinking, the, the, you know, this person was, you know, they're kind of sort of known for being kind of a wise guy, or wise gal. We'll, we'll, we'll leave the gender vague, so we won't point any fingers, but, uh, or guess who it is. But, uh, um, you know, I, I just thought, you know, we're talking about snakes here, and someone laughed and said, I don't know if draping your shoulders with sunglasses would be uh, something you should do. And, and, and that takes me to the, the one thing that I might take umbrage with in uh, Pastor Ravi's sermon last Sunday was he said, strangely enough, a young guy would be speaking to the older folks uh, last Sunday, and this Sunday the old guy is speaking to the younger folks. Um, he didn't specifically say that, but I know what he meant, and uh, so uh, I, I'm only assuming he meant me. But... Uh, we're back from Rhode Island on a mission trip with the students, and, uh, and so I want to thank you very much from the bottom of my heart for your prayers for us. It was, uh, you know, if, if, if uh, you had a list of all the positive things that could happen on a student mission trip, uh, you know, God graciously provided all of those things, and it was just a, a wonderful, wonderful uh, time. Uh, more to come as we will be uh, sharing with you on the Rocky Family Night in a few weeks about the trip. Okay, so um, Robbie's message last week was fantastic. Um, while Bill and Troy were away, Robbie really had something to say, as uh, he said at the beginning of his sermon uh, last week. And, and I, you know, in, in working alongside by side with him, I know uh, Troy and I and the staff at the office would definitely say we're appreciating him more and more, despite his youthful foolishness. Okay, so, <laughs> Robbie said last week, by way of reminder to us, that the church 
is a flock of individuals who are to reflect the character and mission of the great shepherd who rescued us, this is a mouthful, but who rescued us then from sin and death through his, uh, from sin and death through his own death and resurrection. And so I liked how he pointed out that this flock is not a docile or a, a stagnant kind of flock, but that the great shepherd's flock is always constantly pressing toward a heavenly pasture prepared for them by the great shepherd. And that is an awesome thought, folks, that, that one day we're going to show up in this field and we're not going to say, boy, I really wish it was fescue rather than Kentucky bluegrass. None of that. We're, we're going to walk into this field and we're going to say, this is perfect. And it literally will be perfect. Our great shepherd prepared it for us and he, being the perfect shepherd, prepares for us a perfect place, and that's wonderful. But as we press toward this perfect pasture in the now, as Pastor Robbie kind of pointed out, that we shouldn't be kind of stuck in the grass. We, we should be moving forward towards that field, but also we are to be people who are reflecting gospel truth by discipling each other inside the flock and discipling others outside the flock. And so within the flock, it was rightly pointed out that there are all kinds of different people in this flock. He showed us there in Titus 2 that we have men and we have women, we have older, we have younger. Uh, he goes on to say, you know, that there are uh, kind of a slave-master relationship in that first century church, and, and amazing that a slave and a master could be standing next to one another praising God. You know, and, and that there's these various relationships in, and, and different demographics, if you want to call it that, or other things that are, that are in the church. And so he answered the question last week of kind of how is the older generation meant to fulfill the mission of the church? Because it's important. And he kind of brought up the idea that the best sermon meetings are what kind of meetings? Pounders meetings. Yes, absolutely. I agree with that. He and I are fans. And, um, and so, there, you know, we, we met in Pounders and just came together in a consensus that these roles that are outlined for the generations in the church in Titus 2 are essential roles, as are is all of Scripture, but they are essential roles so much so that the body of Christ or the local church really suffers if the older generation is not leading, seeking after, mentoring, and teaching the younger generation. And so, what is the young generation or the younger generation meant to, to, to do in order to kind of fulfill this mission of the church? What, what are we to do, and I don't mean we as in me because clearly I'm old, but what is the younger generation supposedly to do to reflect the character and the mission of the great shepherd? And so we're going to answer that question, hopefully, this morning. So the first thing we need to do, though, is to define the younger. Okay, we need to define the younger. This is a tricky thing to do. In a moment, we're going to kind of look at 1 Timothy 4.12, where Paul tells Timothy to not let anyone despise him for his youth, which, which puts Timothy in kind of the youth category. But if you know kind of a little bit, you can kind of guesstimate how old Timothy is. Timothy was probably in his 30s when Paul said this. 
So if we say that the younger generation in the church is everyone from, say, age birth to 33, let's say. So we've got birth to 33, and, you know, that's quite a wide range of seasons of life. You know, an even basic ability. So, so let's say that I say the way the younger generation is meant to fulfill the mission of the church is to obey your parents. All parents say? Yes. That's right. That's right. Amen. That would not be a wrong recommendation for, for everyone who says maybe 18 or younger. Now, there may be a, a, a similarity between birth to 33 in today's day and age in that they're both living in their parents' basement, but we'll, we'll skip past that. <laughs> How does that apply to the 33-year-old who's not living in their parents' basement? When I was 33, I, I had been married for, I'm going I'm, I'm, I'm to do my best here, babe, 11 years, and I think we had all four of our children. I was doing the math, and I think, yeah, it was 04. I think you were born or nearly born, okay? So let's say that, that you know, let's, let's just say, let's change the subject and not go into something like that. Let's say the, you know, the, the younger generation is meant to fulfill the mission of the church by tithing. Again, it's not a bad instruction to give, but the instruction of, uh, of tithing would apply to the younger generation, but there's one important thing that needs to be true of the younger generation. They ought to be earning an income. So let's say we have an eight-year-old who's newly in the faith, you know, they've prayed to ask Christ in their heart, they've repented of sin, they've trusted in Christ. No, does that mean the eight-year-old needs to go out and kind of start a lawn mowing business in order to fulfill displaying the mission of the church by earning an income and therefore tithing? And the answer to that is no. So we define the young by a certain age range, and if we do that, then that becomes problematic. And so the, I think the best working definition really comes from last Sunday's passage here in Titus 2, and, and here's, our, here's going to be, okay, our working definition and why, okay? So here's your definition of the younger. Members of the flock who lack knowledge and ability to display gospel truth in their season of life due to a lack of wisdom or life experience. I think that's a pretty good, comprehensive de uh, definition of things. And here's, here's kind of why or some of the whys to that. Notice, first of all, in verse 2 and 3 of Titus 2 that it says, older men and older women are to be something, okay? And, and, and this could be, from Paul, an, kind of an admonition for older men and women to be something that they are currently not being, you know, that, that could be true, the, that the older women and the older men are not being these things, so, so be this way. But I think what Paul's really hinting at is, is when you arrive as someone who fits into the older generation, then these things ought to be true of you. It's kind of saying, you know, it's, it's a cross-the-board admonition to the older and the younger that older, you ought to be this way, but younger, you need to work towards being this way. Because when you're older, this ought to be true of you. He's not necessarily saying that, you know, hey, you guys are a bunch of losers and you really need to get on the ball or something like that. He's just saying that this is a category thing, that when you are older, this ought to be true of you. And so older men are to be the anchors of the church as they are to be sober-minded, dignified, self-controlled, sound in faith, in love, and steadfastness. Those are all anchor language there. 
And the older women are also to be anchors in a different way, as they are reverent in their behavior, not slanderers or slaves to much wine, teaching what is good. And the reason I think the older generation ought to be this way is because everyone ought to be this way. But there's a demographic in the church known as the younger that apparently are not. They're just not. And so the younger women were, were lacking in knowing how to love their husbands and children, let's say, because that's what he says, the older women are to be this way so that they can teach the younger women to love their husbands and their children. And you say, well, doesn't everyone love their husband and children? Yes, I think on an earthly level, there's a kind of love that's happening there. But I, I think what we're talking about when we say love here, because the word is agape, it's not phileo or eros or anything like that. It's agape. It's kind of the, the, the generally the technical term that's used to express Christ's love. I think that women in the church or the younger women in the church, specifically in this situation and probably for all time, have a problem showing biblical love towards their husband and towards their children. You say, what do you mean by biblical love? Well, I think these women are probably in the category of newly married, and their marriage hasn't settled down to a fireside chat where they realize what a sinner they've married. You know, they haven't realized what a, what a, what a terrible person this, this man has turned out to be. Or maybe they're a new parent and their children haven't reached the ripe old age of three. Or 13. And in these situations, here's this wife, this new wife who's full of the romance, full of the excitement of the future, full of all these other things, and then all of a sudden the marriage kind of settles down and say, I don't know if I really love this guy. I don't know if I, you know... I don't know if I really love these kids. And there's where biblical love kicks in. And so here comes this wife who's been married 30, 40, 50, 60 years. Who knows this? Who's been disappointed, you know, a zillion times. Expectations thrown out the door because they're no longer worth having because they just hurt too much. And yet she loves her husband like Christ, who has been disappointed a billion times by his people, and loves her children like Christ, whose children have ripped his heart out countless times. And so you have the older women coming in and teaching the younger women a love they know not of. The younger men are apparently also foolish and restless. Verse 6 says, likewise, urge the young men to be self-controlled. Interestingly enough, the Greek word for young here, neos, it does mean new, but it can also possibly be taken from another Greek word that means energy, movement, agitation, which signifies kind of the, the activity of the younger and, and kind of the restlessness of the younger age. And I think that's interesting that, that the older who are self-controlled, stable, kind of that sort of thing, kind of come into a younger life that's agitated and full of energy and foolishness, and like, hey, what about this? And full of distractions, and they say, simmer down. And so the self-controlled, sound-in-faith man comes in and leads the younger men to be the same way. 
Second point. The end goal. Okay, so now we're moving into what should the younger do? How should the younger be? And here's, here's the end goal. The end goal is to be an example of the believer. That is the goal of the younger generation. They have an end goal of being an example of the believer. So how is the younger generation meant to fulfill the mission of the church? 1 Timothy 4.12, Paul is talking to Timothy and he says, 30-year-old Timothy, by the way, he says, let no one despise you for your youth, but set the believers an example in speech, in conduct, in love, in faith, in purity. First of all, he says, let no one despise your youth. That word despise literally means to hold in contempt. And there was a, there was a cultural thing that was happening here. The, the Greek culture put a high value on age and experience. So much so that if they were just kind of literally walking around in their social circles and they saw someone of, say, 30 and younger, they would immediately despise that person. They would immediately think that that person does not know what they ought to know. And so to to kind of counteract this despising that Timothy might receive, he was to set the believers an example in certain things. And so the next thing is he was to be this example, which basically means type or prototype. And so these Greek elders would look at Timothy's youthfulness and then kind of be tempted to sneer a little bit, be tempted to kind of not take what he says as something that is valuable because he's a young guy. But they would look at his life, and they would see no better prototype on which others could follow and be a faithful disciple of Christ. Because Timothy would would set the example. He would be an example, first of all, of speech, which basically just means your words. And all we're talking about, folks, here, as far as example is concerned, is if we are reflecting the, the character and mission of Christ, therefore, my words somehow always accomplish that. Do I have Christ-centered words? Second thing is conduct, which basically just means actions. The third thing is love. And again, that word agape is used there, and it's basically expressing the love of God to others. Timothy was also to be an example of faith, not saving faith. The faith that's used here is basically talking about devotion or commitment to God. And then Timothy was to be an example of purity, and that just had to do with chastity or uh, uh, sometimes sexual purity is, is generally what's implied here, but, it, you know, physical purity, the, the word basically just means free from contamination. And so Paul was, was commanding Timothy to be an example of someone who was fully devoted to the Lord. He was to make it a top priority that his youthfulness would not get in the way of his faithfulness. That's a, a good way of saying it, that Timothy was to make it a priority that his youthfulness, don't let these people despise you, Timothy. And Timothy could say, you know, well, I just, you know, forget these elders and this, these, these Greek elders in this church. I don't need to listen to them. They don't have any respect for me anyway. And he could kind of rumble off into rebellion. And Paul is saying, no, Timothy, do not let your youthfulness get in the way of your faithfulness. Be a prototype of devotion to God. Now, the temptation in, in reading 1 Timothy 4, verse 12, 
you know, and this may be due to kind of our American rugged individualism, but, but you read this verse and you immediately grab the bull by the horns and you say, you know, I'm going to start memorizing the New Testament. You know, I'm going to start jumping through these hoops and doing this thing and that sort of thing. And, and you kind of say, you know, I'm going to be kind of a, a lone ranger example of, of, of setting the prototype, of being the example. You might say, yes, you, you are to have the priority of being an example of Christ in speech and conduct and love and those kinds of things, but the first step to being an example is not to isolate yourself. It, it, it's not to kind of fall into pride and pull yourself up by your own bootstraps and, and, and set a goal and achieve the goal and move to the next goal and stuff like that. It's not to do that thing. The first step is to really acknowledge your youthfulness. See where you lack knowledge and experience, and, and in these things, look around for experience examples of those things and learn from them. So, you know, as, as a for instance, you know, let's say he says, I want you to be an example of displaying the love Christ has for his church. You're kind of going, what is that all about? I, I don't really know what that even means. And so you kind of Look, you know, kind of, you know, maybe you're in a submarine, you get the periscope up and you just start looking around the congregation and you maybe see brother so-and-so or sister so-and-so and they are always at the men's breakfast and they're not only there, but they're making the meals or they're always at this and they're making sacrifices here and this person is doing this and, and you're noticing this person and you're seeing that they are, you know, sacrificing and loving and showing the love of God to the church and you get next to them and you say, can I learn from you for a while? How on earth, you know, maybe this person suffers from chronic pain. How on earth are you at every event? How on earth are you dealing with pain and sacrifice at the same time? And you learn from that person. Paul's not telling Timothy, let no one despise your youth. You despise them right back. Nor is he saying, Timothy, this is just one of those dumb Greek cultural things. Do your best to ignore it. I know they're going to despise you, Timothy, but just, just look past it. They're, they're the Greeks, Gentiles. I mean, come on. I mean, Timothy, you're, you're half Jewish, okay, oh, whatever. You know, Timothy, just, just ignore the culture and, and just, you know, do your best. You're, you're not really young. Come on, Timothy, you're not young. You're 30. I mean, my goodness sakes, you've got enough life experience under you. And, and in all actuality, you know, being your age really doesn't matter. I mean, we're all on sinners on the equal plane, you know, that sort of thing. That's not what Paul's saying here. Paul specifically points out Timothy's youth and basically says, what are you going to do about it? And so Paul gave him the challenge to kind of set a goal and be an example of the excuse me, <laughs> be an example of the believer. Mouth's not working right this morning. Must be an age thing. So, so here's point number three, okay? Timothy, set a goal to be an example of the believer, and here's point number three. But the road to getting there is to be teachable. The road to getting there is to be teachable. No, I'm going to be an example of the believer, and so no one can talk to me that way. I'm, I'm going to show them. No, Timothy, be teachable. So back in Titus 2, we saw last Sunday that the older generation were responsible for themselves, no doubt. Be sober-minded, be reverent in your behavior, those kinds of things. But they were also on, on some level responsible for the younger generation. 
And so verse 4 begins with these words, and so train older women, train the younger women. And then verse 6 begins with likewise urge. That word train literally means to be sober-minded. And it also has to do with training others to think and act soberly or discreetly. Ladies, if men are not so full of energy, that sort of thing, you are the anchor of the home. You are the anchor of the man. Think soberly. And then the older men are to urge the young men, and that word urge literally means to call alongside. And so the, the, the older women are to train the younger women to think and act in a certain way, and the older men are to kind of grab a hold of the younger men side by side, teach them how they ought to be self-controlled in all things. And folks, this only works if only this only works if two realities exist. Number one reality is the older are pursuing the younger to, to kind of urge them on. So our older folks need to kind of light a fire under themselves and get after it if this isn't happening. But number two, this reality also needs to be true, and that is the younger are pursuing the older because they are deeply aware of their need to be urged on. I need to know how to be this way. And so our younger folks need to humble themselves and be teachable. So point number four, we're going to land with this. Three things on why be teachable. Why on earth should we be teachable? Well, first of all, letter number A is the implied command. Okay, so I have already pointed this out, but, but, but a person could. I think they would be snarky and wrong. But a person could make the case that all of the commands or requests in Titus 2 regarding the generations strictly land on the shoulders of the older generation. Therefore, you know, perhaps, maybe, the younger generation could say, I'm not being told to do anything. So, so I really don't have to do anything, right? You know, at least here in this passage. And I think you're wrong. Though there's, you know, not a direct command, I think there's an implied command here for the younger generation. I believe that, as we said before, you must listen, you must be teachable. The older generation is not to lead, teach, urge, and push the younger generation, and, and oh, by the way, they, you know, they'll spit in your eye. That's not what the Scripture's saying here. It's not saying, older generation, get under the needs of the younger generation, and oh, by the way, they're not going to appreciate it whatsoever. That might happen. I pray it won't. But the impl implication here is older generation, get yourself under the needs of the younger, and younger, and the younger will learn. And so the implied command here is, you know, kind of like, okay, older guy, you get over there to that young guy, that young skull full of mush or whatever, and, uh, and, and teach them something. Teach him self-control. He's having a lot of trouble with self-control. And oh, by the way, I'm kind of implying here that you should be listening to him. Kind of implying here. It, it doesn't say. And work really hard because this person's going to be so incredibly stubborn. 
It doesn't say, and, and try really hard here because this person's going to be an absolute jerk for the first two weeks of meetings. It doesn't say that. It just says you listen. So, so listen. Okay, so there's a kind of an implied command here that you ought to be teachable. But not only that, letter number B, accomplishing the obvious command. You might say, I'm in the younger generation, so I, I really don't have to do anything. Let's say you're kind of sticking with that argument. Uh, you know, there's no command for me in here. Titus 2, great for the old folks. Nice that they would try to help me out, but yeah, not so much. So, so what happens when these commands do apply to you? As, as you enter the realm of the older generation, what happens? I know maybe you're thinking, I'm invincible, I'm never going to get old, that sort of thing. We all thought that way. We were wrong. <laughs> really, really wrong. And you are too. I'm, I'm saying this as a, as a pastor and as a brother who, who, who loves you all. If you think you're in the younger generation and you're going to be invincible and you're never going to wake up with aches and pains and whatever else comes with the package, you're wrong. And so this obvious command to the older generation will apply to you. What will you do then? And it will happen sooner than you think. And if you find yourself, or, or you will find yourself as prideful and as ignorant when you were in your 30s or in your 20s or in your teens or something like that, if you find yourself as ignorant and as prideful as you were then in the older generation, you got a lot, lot of mileage to make up. You got a lot of repenting to do. You got a lot to deal with. The question is, will you be a prototype of what it means to be devoted to God when you are surrounded by younger men or women who desperately need that? They will. You will get yourself involved in a ministry later in life or something like that, and you will be surrounded by people who need you to be a godly man. They need you to be a godly woman. Will you see the commands of Titus 2, verses 2 through 6 as a calling? Will you see them kind of as a trajectory? Will you see them as your future? Will you accomplish, you know, these obvious commands when your generation is called upon to do so. The third and final reason is the body needs wisdom as much as it needs strength. If you have your Bibles, turn to Proverbs 20. Turn to Proverbs 20 and look at verse 29. Proverbs 20, verse 29 says, The glory of young men is their strength, but the splendor of old men is their gray hair. Even bald old men. <laughs> you know, the joke is, the hair follicles' roots go down, and if they find 
gray matter, they turn gray, but if they find nothing, they fall out. <laughs> All right, sorry. Isn't it interesting that these two things, strength and gray hair, are both labeled as blessings? Because from the world's perspective, not so much, right? I mean, the younger generation looks at the older generation and it says, you gray-headed, feeble people. You only wish you were as strong as we are. And the older generation looks at the younger and says, you bunch of muscle heads. You are young skulls full of mush. You only wish you were as experienced, gray-headed. You only wish you were as experienced as we are. But, but Scripture labels both things as a blessing for very, very good reason. The body of Christ or the, the flock of the great shepherd or the church needs youth. There's no doubt about it. The church needs youth. It needs energy. It needs movement. It needs speed and sometimes quick action and quick decisions. And therefore, the older generation ought not be critical of the strength of the youth. But the church also needs wisdom. The church needs to be cautious sometimes, to think through the angles and to take things a little bit more slowly and apply lifelong wisdom to those situations. And so the the younger generation ought not criticize the wisdom of the aged. The church needs to know from either a thousand successes or a thousand failures from decades of living that this should be the right direction we ought to take. And that only comes from people who've lived a while. And as much as Paul kind of admonishes Timothy to not let anyone despise his youth because he was in a culture that honored the age, here's here's the trick for our our time, our era. (coughs) The youth ought to honor the aged because we are in a culture where agedness is not necessarily respected. You got people nipped and tucked and walking on the beach, fried to a crisp because they want to be 25 again. They're not content with their actual age. And therefore, they're probably not going to use their experiences attributed to their actual age to be kind of a life changer for someone who is actually 25. Folks, a church, a church that is all youth and strength with no wisdom will fall into destructive foolishness. It will. A church that is all youth and strength with no wisdom will fall into destructive foolishness. Just like a church that is older and wiser without any strength of youth will fall into stagnation and and extinction. If you are in the younger generation, be teachable. Learn from the wisdom and experience of the older generation. Use what you have learned to become an example of what it means to be devoted to God. And and when you start noticing, maybe as you're sitting there, my hands were the thing for me. I was like, that's my dad's hand. 
You know, that, that was kind of the thing for me. There were zillions of other things over time, but, but I looked at my hand and I go, that's my dad's hand. So, you know, when you start to notice more and more wrinkles on your hands and face, when, when there's less hair on your head, when you, <coughs> excuse me, regularly walk into a room and, and forget why you were there, when you look around your church during that time, look for the same kid that was as much of a knucklehead as you were. Grab them, pull them alongside, call them alongside of you, say, hey, I'm doing a Bible study on Tuesday morning, you want to come? And make sure as far as you are concerned that your efforts have been so poured into that young man's that he's going to do the same thing in 30 to 40 years. So final application, look around the room, go ahead, look around the room, you don't have to stand up, you just look around the room. Here's the application, if you are older, is there someone or multiple someones that you are training and urging to be more like the great shepherd? If you are older, is there someone or multiple someones that you are training, praying for, urging to be more like the great shepherd? If you're younger, is there someone or multiple someones that you can say, you know, they have made or are making an impact on me right now in my being more like the great shepherd? That's the application of this. Is this happening here? If the majority of the answers are yes, then Rocky's doing well on this. Keep at it. If the majority of the answers are no, then it's time for us to change those answers. Rocky, will you say we will not let our children be like the children of Israel? Think about it. They were given the Shema in Deuteronomy chapter 6. We're essentially a hero, Israel, the Lord our God is one, the Lord is this. And then it goes on to say that, you know, teach these things to your children. Write them on the doorposts of your heart while you're walking, in the evening, in the morning, you know. Whenever you're with your kids, pass these things on. And then just a few generations later, book of Judges. Isn't that amazing to think that if the people of Israel might have been faithful, the book of Judges might not have existed? That is a crazy thought. But here are the people in the book of Judges, and it says, you know, the, the description of that generation of kids is tragic. It says, they did what was right in their own eyes. And I have to just think that one of the reasons, although it doesn't say, because you people didn't teach your kids. But in reality, it's because you people didn't teach your kids. You say, well, how does that have to do with me? You know, that guy across the room, that little 20-year-old punk over there, he's not my kid. I get the specificity, specificities of such things, and I'm, I'm not an advocate of it takes a village. I'm really not. I think parents ought to take great responsibility for their kids, but I think there's just a, there's a real possibility that as members of a body that kids are impacted by someone other than their parents in their spiritual walk and their spiritual growth, and that could be you. Will our olders say, 
We will not let the next generation slip through our fingers, but we will train and we will urge. And will our younger say, we will not slip, but we will learn. And in our learning, we will be fully equipped to fight for the next generation. Strive toward that heavenly pasture? Absolutely. No doubt about it. Press towards that glorious day, but let's not pretend that there is nothing to do until we get there. Let's discipline ourselves, and in doing so, let's disciple one another in order to be like our great shepherd. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the opportunity we had to study your word. We pray and ask that you do what only you can do, and that is do business in our hearts. Lord, if there are folks here in the quote-unquote older generation, Lord, I pray that you would grant them wisdom and courage to be able to find avenues and take advantage of opportunities and maybe even create a few opportunities to take their decades of life experience, good, bad, or otherwise, and their decades of walking with you and urge the next generation to be faithful. God, I pray that when that happens, that our youngers will be humble enough to say, hey, maybe I don't know everything. And that they would place themselves under others and be discipled by them and get to know who you are more and more each day. So much so that 20, 30, 40 years down the road, when in, in, in just the reality of it all, this older generation we have here is going to be gone. Lord, I pray that this next generation will step up and fill that role well because they were discipled well by this generation. Thank you for this admonition and instruction in your word to be this type of church. God, I pray that we will be faithful to it. And I pray and ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.